Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to uh, another conversation in the uh, Dissect Podcast Studio. Uh, this is Mark. I'm in the uh, in the room today with. Michael. I thought you were going to say the pilot's chair. I was like, okay, oh. we're getting new terminology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, we uh, Josh Vert is here visiting, and we're uh, we've got Jeremy Jones back. Or maybe this will get put out before. <laughs> the first conversation we recorded with him. So anyway, he's he's present. But um, I thought it would be a pretty nice opportunity today to speak a little just, just about snowboarding because um, obviously, uh, if you know anything about Jeremy, that's his jam, as they say. <laughs> as they say. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and for a number of years uh, was, you know, Josh was chasing storms and um, and getting paid. And... I'm just trying to th- think, you know, probably the first person I've ever seen actually uh, riding in a pair of Ben Davis slacks, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Nice. Back in the day, maybe right. a wife beater. Uh, white, white t-shirt. White t-shirt, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> spring, anyway, so spring pipe riding. Yeah, like that was hand-dug pipes back then. The tank top would have been just as good, I think. Yeah. It <laughs> Same effect. Perfectly, yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, that, you know, style points have been earned. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it would have it had to been the ribbed uh, wife beater absolutely. version. The wife beater yeah. version. That was like the sure. Sean White in, like, skinny jeans on that, like, gold medal run in X Games a couple years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude cares about style. <laughs> <laughs> he well, never I mean, got it, out of that The one. pinnacle uh, of that athletic event, and he's wearing jeans. It was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, but all, uh, essentially, I mean, you could go back and say that, you know, snowboarding um, came, fr- you know, from style, like from a, in, in, a, in a sense, like a... a, a stylistic commentary on mm-hmm. stuff it, as as I, I guess just saying that it you know rolled out of um surf and skate and absolutely yeah, there's a there's a weird style blend in there that's actually like <clears throat> we'll call it like not in a uh, facetious way but the costuming of snowboarding had like a huge effect and when i was skateboarding when i was younger uh, in snowboarding like it, there was like some cholo influence. There was like some there, there was some real weird streetwear going into both, depending on who was pro at the time. So you got some guys out of East LA that were like pro skateboarders. They heavily influenced like the use of dickies and and, and white tank tops and flannels and, and chucks and chucks. Yeah, it, that was a that's an interesting uh, kind of melting pot of style that snowboarding and skateboarding and street influence was. It was kind of I mean I know Jeremy. Your style has definitely influenced the gold chain. And like, how has that shifted throughout the years? Like what's influenced your style it, just clothing wise or costuming wise? Um, I mean, I, I guess it just started from, you know, kind of that area you're talking about where, you know, what, what, where did skateboarding come out of for you? For me, it was, you know, we were watching whatever we could. So we were seeing the California boys, a lot of the East coast guys too. And, and their styles were very different. You know, you the California boys was a little more surfy. East Coast was a little more 
you know, grit, like Mm -hmm. it, it was raw. It was a little dirtier, um, (laughs) you know, for, for lack of a better word. And, and to me that kind of felt pretty cool, you know? So I, I was sort of a hybrid. I'd kind of bounce back and forth, but then you just sort of develop what your style is. And, you know, there's, there's a huge element of just trend that, Mm -hmm. that you, you just don't, as much as you want to separate yourself from that, like it, it influences what ultimately mm-hmm. became, you know, the, the trend of the era. Um, like we discussed the, you know, white t-shirt, um, slacks and, you know, kind of this pimped out thrift store vibe almost, you know, <laughs> it's like, what can you, what can you create from the thrift store that is sort of putting a touch on the trends, but you know, you're tweaking it your own way. And then I'm also a snowboarder, skateboarder, and I get that it comes from surfing. So how do we merge those? So it's sort of this, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you know, I don't think we're, it was anything that you really thought through. This is mm-hmm. obviously looking at it in hindsight and being able to now pick it apart, having yeah. the mental capacity to do so. But back then you were just, you know, you're, you make selections find, at the yeah, store. You just like, exactly. Oh yeah. And then I, Oh, I saw this guy. I, I can distinctly recall being, heavily influenced at the time to wear like some uh army navy surplus camouflage pants and like a blue t-shirt with yellow writing on it because there was like a singer of a hardcore band that wore that with a flat cap and i was like oh that's fucking cool like that's a totally ridiculous outfit but you go out kind of subconsciously looking for it you're like no i want i want to represent that guy's onto something and it's it's, that's not a style but it is in its own right like then uh, the athletic jerseys from hardcore music started making like a huge influence and they were from a skateboardish, you know, background. I think everybody was kind of surrounded musically by the same stuff, at least from how I came and you just saw this influence of style come in and that, uh, to, to say that now, like you could, I think you could claim coming out of the eighties, like, you know, Mark's style was heavily influenced by punk rock and now there's like this nostalgia for a punk rock feel, um, and then it got into our generation and how we developed from our music. And it was almost like a joke, like, ah, oh, that's not style, but it does have its influence somewhere that like that Cholo, like whatever the Dickies and the button flannels was that had a huge influence on skateboarding. And it changed ultimately how I started dressing. Cause then I got into hot rods. Cholos had a ton of influence on mm. like hot rodding culture. For sure. Right. And now <clears throat> with you and motorcycles, I'm sure that was a very similar thing. I don't, I, just a weird side note on style. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean that's yeah. yeah. My, mine was from skateboarding, and, mm-hmm. and specifically um, the Sacramento skate scene, mm-hmm. where you had a heavily punk influenced, um, definitely street uh, hip hop uh, was an influence, but more uh, the white T-shirt, uh, Dickies, mm-hmm. Ben Davis's Carhartt, you know, work yeah. attire, and some simple like blue collar. His shoes exactly yeah. mm-hmm. definitely blue collar um, that's there there was a, i don't know maybe i remember this incorrectly but i i remember distinctly hip-hop having nothing to do with skating and then everything to do with skating like there was almost like a a really drastic influence depending on who i think there was some you know maybe maybe out of california or even on the east coast there was just like this day when everybody started listening to hip-hop that was into skateboarding and before that you wouldn't find anybody that listened to that it was just like other than the oddball but it's I, like the I exception. think part of that that is like part of the the crossover thing that glenn friedman was 
you know, documenting with his cameras. Uh, great. Oh. Mean that he was, you know, tight with Ian McKay and the guys from Minor Threat mm-hmm. and would go to the park and then the Beastie Boys mm-hmm. run DMC, that whole, I mean, the, his, the exhibition that I saw of his with a, there's a beautiful portrait of a very young Ice-T <laughs> that he shot. And I don't remember what what era, you know, what year it is. Maybe it's, Coco you know, tea was it, not present. Not present, no, okay. <laughs> no. Um, but it was a, to, to me like I had no, I had no idea of that same sort of um, punk straight edge mm-hmm. hip hop crossover thing that happened until you know until it until uh, it happened I mean until long after it happened like mm-hmm. I was I had no clue because tunnel vision of my style or whatever. Well, it seems like the like the videos that come out, like okay, they're heavily based on tricks and 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 giving people a feel of what you can do on a, a snowboard. Mm-hmm. But it seems like if you flashed a clip the other day of your gloves being on fire and your beanie being on fire, and probably the board and the rail were on fire. And there was also this just this essence of like, uh, uh, it's influence. Some like it's almost the I don't want to call it the jackass influence, but there was definitely that like. We are fucking crazy. Like you want th- this subculture is kind of out of control. It's the youth subculture. Whatever you want to try it. That style was almost just as important in the videos because we picked up. It changed how we dressed. We wanted to relate to that thing. And you guys kind of set the pattern for that, maybe unknowingly, or maybe you did know. Like, hey, if we do this crazy fucking thing, and you know, this style will me will be mirrored by our subculture was that ever a, a thought when you were like creating these things mm, maybe an afterthought but not a thought Go it ahead. had its it had its purpose it was it, for me it was like a statement of this is who i am i'm dressing like this mm-hmm. is you know i'm not dressing to influence somebody i'm dressing this is where i come from mm-hmm. this is what i listen to and believe in and act like and you know for, for me um I was coming uh, from a skateboarding background, so everything was filtered through that lens. And I almost was rebelling wearing uh, the Ben Davises because I rode for Burton, and you know we had really nice pants that were wouldn't weren't wet <laughs> from the boot up or whatever. But <laughs> but I went out of my way to wear the Ben Davises because that's what I felt comfortable skating in, and yeah. you know I. I Anyway, I, I was just going to say it's kind of a funny thing, like that that I recognize with snowboarding, at least in, in a certain period, was that um, you didn't change your clothes to to go ride. You, like it wasn't like, oh, I put on my ski costume, like skiing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what we didn't sexy want. Sexy ass Bogner one piece ski suit or whatever right. that I put on. So, but it, but it almost seemed like okay, the transition from this is what I wear in the street, this is what I wear when I ride. Yes, the same. That's what we want. That's what I wanted. Okay. I, I didn't want to put on the ski costume. We were trying to be anti that. And then also, yeah, because there was this big, like when, when, when I was doing it, there was, uh, there was definitely a ski versus snowboard <laughs> yeah, yeah, board yeah, vibe. Yeah, yeah. And also sure. we weren't welcome. I mean, there, you know, we were only welcome at certain resorts and, um, so it, this was just a, it was a really cool part of the sport. These snowboarders, that I you took know, for some granted. of them are not sober when they come to the and that, slope. But that, un, that unwelcomeness, all it did was, it was fuel that, that style <laughs> Absolutely. element, you know, and that, and there was even more reason now to show up and in your Ben Davises, yeah. even though you had 
access to a three layer outerwear piece that yeah. would keep you dry <laughs> and you could you could certainly buy ski clothes that could do the same but you had this you know and the, and again youth mm-hmm. is a powerful ingredient to go against function mm-hmm. yeah like, you know what i mean like <laughs> well, it's like like i joke about the lighting your hat on fire but it's almost like mm-hmm. a fuck you to like i i mean even the brands that were supporting you there's kind of a a fuck you vibe to it like mm-hmm. i'm gonna take the thing mm-hmm. that you want me to wear and i'm gonna like burn it or wear it differently than you expect me to wear it and that actually i mean it reinforced the brand accidentally i think i mean that's how i i could be completely off on this but and may, forgive me for going down a huge wormhole right here but it like <laughs> philosophically mm-hmm. what we're talking about and this, this is a is structuralism right like you're a product of the colloquialism that that you brought it like you mentioned skateboarding punk rock all the musical influence i to some point the, and we can go bigger like as a broader statement to kind of um express what i'm talking about like um my biggest joke with <clears throat> religious influence is like oh you're born in midwestern america it's no surprise that you're a born again christian like that that's not like it was just circumstance like you're you're there and if you're born in you know China at a certain time, okay, you're going to be something or in the Middle East or in India, you're Hindu, like wh- whatever this thing is, we, we take that structuralism and bring it down to even subcultures. And that's true. Like, I don't think I really had a choice in being into hardcore music. I was offered a few choices and I chose the one that was like, that I identified closest. It was to. available. Yeah. Right. It's not like I'm like, you know, a diehard for Beethoven at, at age 16. Like that's not an option. I mean, you could be, but you would be your own subculture that nobody else wants to belong to, which is unsafe at some. So you pick like, okay, I could, I could get into uh, Chumbawamba and I, you know, pop my collar and now I play football and that's my subculture. And that leads to apparently you're a stockbroker by age 27 or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> or I, you know, I identify like, man, I like Rancid and I like all these like Operation Ivy and all these bands that were heavily influenced like in that subculture and, and eventually, you know, Beastie Boys led to hip hop and hip hop led to this other subculture. Uh, but event, like I, I think about it as like, wow, how many choices did I actually make? Like, I don't, I don't think I made, we're basically our belief system and what we really get into is a byproduct of exposure at a young, at a young part. Right. I know I where agree. you're going with this. Yeah. No, free, no free will. <laughs> That's where you're going. I'm trying not. I try my hardest not to go that route. And we're, we're eventually going to cover that. Yeah, that no free will truth there for sure. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think like this is, you know, I, I just try to identify like how much I'm in control of what I do. Because the style thing, I, don't, I think people take it for granted. And I, I've written mm-hmm. about it a couple of times because, and I call it costuming is joking. Not to be like... I mean, everybody does it. Like I have fucking tights on right now. Like I, <laughs> but they're they're for function, right? Uh, to a point, but it's also like, well, I could wear shorts. I don't like to wear shorts, like right. because so many people wear shorts. <laughs> I just, like I, that, that's just a fucking. Uh, it's such a a dumb thing to adhere to, but it's also I can't help myself but adhere to it. Like I see a bunch of CrossFitters, and I go, I don't want to fucking look like that. Like, okay, I have a CrossFit t-shirt. Yeah, great. Um, 
But when I show up to a competition, I'm the last person to take my shirt off. I'm the last person to wear a wallet chain. I'm the wa- last person to wear board shorts. I'm just like, no, tights because they work. I'm not wearing fucking the shoes that you recommend because fuck you. Like there's within a subculture, there's also a fuck you. You're culture. rebelling. Yeah. And I also don't know how much control. And we, me and Mark joked about this before because um, his his dad was a ranger in Yosemite. Right. And that that's kind of the antithesis of climbers like those guys don't get along therefore mark becomes a climber did he have a fucking choice and i my my dad was the opposite my dad was a fucking climber and even in yosemite in the 80s um i didn't really have a choice like i was gonna say so why aren't you a cop well i i went to school for it originally (laughs) originally i was going to school for criminal justice he kind of is well, I, that's but what I really true. wanted to do, and then it's it was kind of an enforcer. And then it was supposed yes. to be military, and then it was going to be something else, and then it ended up hairdressing. Don't fucking ask me how that happened. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think about it in that case. Like I don't know how much thought you guys have put into how much <clears throat> choices you have over what you you go down. But you both ended up being professional snowboarders. Um, what were the other choices? Like I, you might say, alluding to there was no other choice. Um, I mean, for me. For sure, there was no other choice, but that you know that developed by the first Ollie that I saw walking into Fashion Place Mall in oh, you know in the 80s. Like, okay. that's life changing, yeah. It was, Sight. and that's all it took. It was these two long hairs that were in front of the door, <laughs> and I was walking with my mom just to I don't know, school shopping or something. And it was a it was pouring rain, and this dude just cracked an Ollie in front of the door right when I was walking by and I could have swore he brought his board up, you know, to my face, whatever that was at that at, time. At that but time, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it seemed like feet off of the ground and, and it blew my mind. And that was that. And the you sound know? of that Ollie too. And the like, sound. Crack. And then under that canopy, canopy too, it, you know, you get the echo and the bounce off of the glass and, you know, I can pull it apart now mm. because I remember it so distinctly, but mm. You know, that, that was my hook. And then there was no choice because then it's, you know, two years later down the road, I get, I steal my brother's skateboard, younger brother's skateboard that he gets for Christmas. And that, because I already had the hook, it was just, now I need this thing in front of me. And and where does this come from? Wait, it it was his skateboard that he had received for Christmas? Correct. And, and then, you took it. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. it was mine. And he, I mean, I don't think he even wrote it one time. And and he was okay with it. It just, it worked. Just, you know, there wasn't. It just, it sounds like a terrible thing for a brother to do, but I guess, it, you know, yeah, if he wasn't out. using it. Right. <laughs> I <laughs> totally. Bet, I bet you remember what that board Oh, yeah, was. for sure. Salba. Yeah. Steve oh, Alba. Oh, nice. no way. All black, red, red uh, bones wheels and indie trucks and. Nice. In indies to this day and so you know things nice like setup. that still stick and yeah <laughs> was it was like, mine was like a costco kamikaze <laughs> oh, <laughs> which nice. would have been my second setup probably because then <laughs> you know you <laughs> go through it and there's no money to, to my get first the, was the a re-up. alien workshop uh board it was a slicky the first time they made that like slick surface they did that like weird color. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and i got like i was skateboarding on it one of the first times over in union square park or uh not union square park uh union uh, fort union and over in that little area shopping area because 
where else are you going to do it? <laughs> and some kid, like all long hair. That's why I laughed when he said it, because that was like, at the time, that was the distinct skater style. Was For long sure. Hair. Yeah. And he was like, hey, guys. And we didn't know him. We were afraid of being posers at the time. He's like, oh, that's a sweet board. Can I see that? And we were just like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, we're uh -oh. getting accepted. And he just fucking bailed with that thing. <laughs> he ran like, off with your board. Dude, he ran. <laughs> and I was just like, what am I going to do? He's, the kid's like 20. I was like fucking nine or oh, 10 or yeah. something at the time. And I was just no, like, just I just lost my $100 board that I had to bail my mom to get me oh no so i was just like i was out and then the second board i ended up my my cousin gave to me that was just a beater board so i my first skateboard was awesome my second skateboard was the fucking most miserable thing <laughs> had like the tiniest hardest wheels and they would skid over every fucking uh, rock and i'd go i know that board <laughs> yeah, i know that yeah, board yeah, well yeah. it was probably a costco my friend mike variant. had it yeah nice yeah and there, there's something so real about just that hazing and i wish that happened more you know I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, totally. you know, as, I mean, I wouldn't want it to happen to my kid. It, you know, it pissed no. me off for sure. But I'd, you, you know, I'd yelling. be able to look at it and be all, you know, the, yeah. the yelling that's, from that's the car is kind of hazing, you know, yeah, it's funny. And he, oh, and just rolling into like an older yeah. crowd, like the way he handed oh. the deck over to the older kid, you know, like I remember street skating around just trying to find your place in mm -hmm. skateboarding. Once you start figuring out what mm -hmm. you're going to do and then. The older kids just roll up and snap your board in half and yeah. they're and they're a skater kid you know you're like you walk up to him because this is your community yeah. these are oh, these guys we we got this in common they're Fucking just like dickheads. yeah what are you guys I, doing I, snap I, you know and you're like <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. so and th that doesn't happen much anymore you know well he bought the respect because you say you said the term crack and ollie and mm -hmm. he had he used my board in ollie like up to my waist and i was like oh fuck I wish I could do that. Yeah. And so like he had, a, I was like, yeah, yeah. Like you can look at my board, use it. Like, and then he runs off with it. And I was like, oh fuck, this is a bad idea. Yeah. But he bought the respect to start yeah, with, his, which is. His buy-in was appropriate and right there. Yeah. yeah. But I would say 90% of the fights that I got in in high school were other skaters. Like this whole, like, oh, I became a skater to go against. We never fought like. You fought yeah. each other. Yeah, we fought <laughs> each other, like trying to prove who was not a poser. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was the early years of it all. That's what yeah. it is. My first day at Upland uh, Pipeline, which was a skate park in Southern California, in Upland, mm. concrete park. Um, St Steve Alba's there. And um, I was, you know, I went through the line and got my pass and, and got in and was uh, looking at the combi pool. And I knew I wasn't going to drop into the combi pool because for one, they were having a session in it. And it was like, I mean, this thing looked like 20 feet deep. I don't remember <laughs> what, like how deep it really was, but probably close, super, yeah. <laughs> super steep and like fucking really deep. And Salbo was boosting out of it. And um, there was another guy there from PAL and it was just a, super intense session so like everyone was just kind of like i was on my way to go write a feature but it was just so captivating and salba airs out and then lands on the deck and he has his board and everything and a little kid goes up to him and goes salba salba where are you gonna go next and he looks at the little kid and he there's a crowd around him and he goes wherever you're not Ouch, just so it is. <laughs> crushing <laughs> Oh, Speaking yeah. of the hazing, yeah, and the salva board, and who, I wonder where that kid ended up. You know, right? I'll show you. Yeah, 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 e yeah either yeah. that or, or or he crumbled. You know, and, maybe. Yeah, and that that's part of the hazing Probably. process. It's you know, here's your chance. You either take it or you walk. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that in bike racing. How hard it is to buy in. 
Like Mm -hmm. not only at the local level, but once you are an established local phenom, Joe kind of explained how hard it is to break in at the the pro level. Like, and then at the pro level, how hard it is to break into the European pro level. And then on top of that, then there's the, you know, top 200 in the world. Those guys are the most unaccepting people on the planet. And you're doing like, you're, you're in the 1% already. And it's still like, what the fuck are you doing up here? Get out, go back. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed to write. That, <laughs> is that, is that because it, it, it becomes no competition yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this, in this sport, it becomes competition, right? In biking, mm-hmm. like at that level, these guys, I mean, do they not want you there because I don't think it's a competition. I thought it was a culture. Like, it's like you haven't earned your, like, even though physically you're probably capable, it's just culturally, we don't know if we trust you, how you act in this race. Okay. I think sure. that's a temperament sure. thing. What do you, what Joe was saying something about it. I, yeah. Brian Harder had a, re, a good mm-hmm. comment on it just about, you know, being in a race with a bunch of pros and getting up, working his way up to the front and. <laughs> Maybe trying to sneak off and some guy, go on, you know, and I can't remember who it was, but it was one of the big, big names of the day and just said, where do you think you're going? Nowhere. That's, that's right. Get in the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause they don't, cause the, the deal is, I mean, with that part of that, part of that hazing and is, um, it's safety related. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, if you're going to behave like an idiot in the, in the Peloton, you're going to, you could cause a crash where like 40 dudes go down and some of them will get hurt and not be able to race for a while. Yeah, and so therefore any sort of tourist slash trespasser mm-hmm. is treated with great suspicion at first. And sure. I also think um, the hazing is like how you stand up to it. You can see somebody's character. Like, like you mentioned, like it's either an, I show you or, uh, I'm never coming here again because they were unaccepting. And that happened in the California crit scene for bike racing is really harsh because there's, well, a, at the time, there were so many people involved in races. So you show up to like a 1K, you know, four corner crit, and there's 127 people, and it's like a snake chasing its tail around this loop. Like nobody puts up with anything. I remember somebody like, I was in the front and somebody kept pulling on my, like literally just grabbing me and pulling me back. And you have like two options. Like you elbow them and tell them to fuck off or you do what they want you to do. And so I didn't do what I was told to do. <laughs> and that almost earned you, like nobody said anything to me ever again. Cause like, oh, okay, like now he wants to be up here and he'll put an elbow in you if he wants to stay. I was like, okay, that's how that works. He gets to mm-hmm. stay. Yeah, I got to stay. But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, Josh, you had mentioned that sort of, um, the, 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 I guess the tightness of the culture or wherever, I mean, just the idea maybe um, of, of okay, we're participating in this marginal thing that, I mean, it came from skate, which is already as um, sort of outside of the norm, a bit, a bit marginal or whatever. Um, and, and then the snowboarding sort of reinforced that. Did, does, my, my sense was that the snowboarding community was way more accepting than, and this is potentially wrong, um, because it, I have always been a skier, but was was more accepting of other people coming into it than skate was, and yes, and and my my thing there would have been okay. It's all, all the entry fee is already high. You got to have a you know, but part of it is environmentally influenced. The fact that we're out here and it's cold and kind of miserable, and 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 you have a lot more latitude to fuck with people when it's mm. you know eighty five degrees and. You know, you're all hanging around the concrete features or something. And I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's 
Um, and maybe there's something there's something else to be against, as in skateboarding. You go to a place and it's just skateboarding. Generally, BMX kind of stayed away. And when you go snowboarding, there's skiers to be against. Therefore, maybe that coalesces a little bit easier. I don't. Do you yeah. feel that much anymore? I mean, there's uh, not really. No, not so much anymore. I mean, I think I think now you're drumming it up. You're sort of. If it's there, it's because it was created by one side or the other. I don't think that, I mean, old timers still don't love snowboarders, like old timer skiers. They, you know, they, they've stuck to their, Mm -hmm. their thoughts about it. And I'm not all of them, of course, but I'm, I'm generalizing here, but they, you know, that's the people you find that still are in the frame of mind that a snowboarder scrapes the snow off of the the hill and yeah. it disappears, you know, right. You're wrecking it. And, and, you <laughs> know, or you're the, you're the guy on the but, snowboard that, um, that rides the corn too late in the day and leaves that giant fucking yeah. frozen Hole. gash mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going to be there tomorrow morning for, sure. you know, like totally solid. Cause yeah. they're not going to groom it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so there's like an unspoken thing, I think, in the ski community is like after a certain time, after the snow gets a certain consistently, you don't you, you go home so that it's not, you know, frozen death cookies tomorrow or like mm-hmm. these giant frozen <laughs> right. trenches. But, um, but, and that um, sort of adversarial nature, I mean, it doesn't seem to me like it um, really exists as much now at all. I no. mean, but it was, it was super harsh. But um, you were, yeah. You were right with uh, that it was a subculture that would more easily let people in than skateboarding, but uh, not many people wanted to do it. Okay. At least at the period I'm thinking in my mind's eye, it was it had its own filter. But and do you think that's part part of that is like the the the, the, the technical non development of of the equipment at that. That's, at that point, it was one way harder one. to get in. Yeah. Like, because because at that point, you know, like skateboarding had been. I mean, you had you know laminated fiberglass boards. Mm-hmm. You had you know that. Okay, this um, is an interesting. I mean, I mean, just just the idea, like fi- the, like you had the tech to find a snowboard at that period too. It was, yeah, you know, it was knowing it existed was one. Knowing that there was a culture is another. But then to find the product was was, was something too. And yet another hurdle. And so yeah. the people who had gone through, you know, had identified that snowboarding existed, that there's a culture with it and they had the gear and they yeah. showed up at the place and then, oh, you've already passed like through four or five levels of filtering sure. to get here. And so therefore you're more welcomed maybe. Mm-hmm. I, and the parent no, it's, barrier too. Like most oh. of these snowboarders are pushing through a skier parent barrier, which, okay. which is for sure something for a lot of them, you know, especially... Yeah. Um, you know, ski town oh, kids. Yeah, you know. I and remember so, some. You know, I wonder what I didn't they have. That. They, That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't so much either because I mean, I came from skiing parents, but it was real recreational, and so it was an an easy thing as far as that goes for me. But I know people. It's a layer that they've dealt with for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty interesting. I just I remember. Um, and I think it was Mark Shapiro. He's a um, uh, a, a quite a well-known uh, ski photographer from sort of 80s, 90s, um, and his comments on, you know, his kid, like, kid better not be a snowboarder. Right. <laughs> you know, and this is back probably early, you know, 92 or something. <laughs> and when he said that to me, and I was just laughing. Like, oh, my 
God, you're, you're, uh, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> you were the guy when you went skiing, you were, you did the exact same thing to your parents. I don't know what, mm-hmm. what it, you know, but skiing was you know, sort of an act of rebellion for him. I get the impression. And so, obviously, if that was his attitude, was you know, rude. then yeah. his kids probably it's, it's snowboarding. He's so, making a snowboarder. <laughs> it's so <laughs> easy to set our kids up to be exactly what we don't want them to be. Oh, like yeah. we, <laughs> Better not do so this. True. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can guarantee they'll do exactly that. Thing. Maybe he does want them to be a snowboarder. Maybe, yeah, I guess. Apparently. Maybe so. yeah. Yeah. He'll, he'll let that one out of the bag in a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so to sort of circle back to that te- technology kind of thing, kind of thing i mean the, the like like skate um technology was highly advanced by the time the sort of the snowboarding culture was in its infancy let's say yeah mm-hmm. um and and things changed like like it, it seemed uh if it was if it was sort of coming from surf coming from i mean the, the the original winter stick i mean it had that beautiful swallow tail and some super sweet bungee cords um, with kind of a textured deck, no edges, something, <laughs> and then there was the the one I think Jeremy you and I talked about. I can't remember. The, the, um, so the winter stick that I tried to ride, I think it was like navy blue. Maybe yeah. that was the was cheap. it wood? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it was that was plastic. But then there was this oh. other board that was. It seemed to be fairly straight, like no side cut to it, fairly straight, two aluminum skegs on the bottom like it like a um and and then and it was it was yellow there was no kicker in the back felt like like the 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 front my memory serves kind of rolled up into the you know shape of a ski or whatever sort of mono ski style just a little wider and yeah yeah, that was I don't what my first call that one. And, and I think, but I think you, it was the one that had the, 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 the cord on the, the cord, front. The cord, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. you, you stood on a, and held onto this. Right. And there was versions of those when, you know, because that, that phase ran for a minute. I mean, all the phases, I guess, at that era did, but. Until people fi- were figuring out, like, man, this doesn't really work that good. Yeah, once, unless it's powder, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. a useless thing, right? Because yeah. you can't, hmm. without that leverage of a binding or being strapped in, you can't. Yeah. You know, just like a ski, if you're just standing on the planks and trying to pull the things around with strings, it's not going to respond. But in powder, you can kind of fake it, right? Float. You could float you it and just sort of ease your turns. And mm-hmm. even on two skis with a string and no bindings, you could probably figure that out if you're if you really want a good to, skier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it, for, for, for my exposure to snow, I mean, I, I was always, um, so I'm, a ski, you know, two legs, two skis. That was mm-hmm. the, my thing, um, <laughs> except for the brief mono ski period. And you did know, that. That's impressive. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's so well. gnarly. It's so gnarly. <laughs> so gnarly. But when you see, like, but living in in, in Chamonix at, in that period and seeing people who did it really well, it looks like fuck. It's so cool. Like I can I can be in the back seat. And it's right. actually, you know, skiers are like, no, don't get in the back seat. You know, you got to be more aggressive. And over in, mm-hmm. and these people were just like, you know, long hair, round fucking white Barnes and being in the back seat, most beautiful one piece suits ever. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, some pretty, I mean, I think I want to say it would have been maybe 88 that, uh, I wouldn't say Veronique Perriot skied off the, mono skied off the top of Cho Oyu. Mm-hmm. And which is, you know, one of the 8,000 meter, one of the 14, 8,000 meter peaks. 
Um, and I think she was on a trip with Bruno Guvi, who was uh, um, riding a snowboard. And uh, and so, so there was, the, but there was this very strange culture that developed there for me. Like my exposure to snowboarding was not jibbing. There was no. It's mm. all come. It all came from skiing and then mono skiing, and it's all high mountain sort right. of thing. So the technology that I saw, and I think we talked about maybe this the other day. I can't remember if it was in recorded conversation or not, but was the you know. The, the 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 guys with hard shell boots, plate bindings, a very narrow stance on the board, riding boards that were like, you know, one eighty. I think the Nidecker at that time that they were on was one eighty six or something. I mean, it was a you it's know a long. A, it was a good length. Yeah, right. Um, and, uh, kind of and 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 toes sort of Super oriented stiff. oriented more towards the nose of the board versus yeah. being sideways on it. And the and, and going down and going down really steep stuff and going really fast. I mean, car and it was like a big turn thing. Mm-hmm. It was like speed, big turns, and that was my exposure to it. So for me to come and and, and I never realized that it came from skate mm-hmm. until I moved back to the states. Well, that's interesting. Once this going back to technology, I, my understanding is that like once the snowboard companies started emulating ski technology it just rapidly you know everything uh evolved very fast from there and the boards worked super well Mm -hmm. but you know like my first board was uh maple ply um had p-tex on the bottom and it did have a metal edge i believe it was a sims right like swallowtail and I wore Sorrells in it with no, which yeah. is the felt liners. Yeah. <laughs> and, see, and, you know, and this bachelor. is, you know, back to that style thing in the hard boots, it's, you know, the, the function of a hard boot and a snowboard was really good, especially how you describe it because it was reactive, um, good edge control. Mm-hmm. And so you would be able to handle those turns at that speed because you had right. the support there. Right. And then. Yeah. Then this style comes into play where the skate influence really started to pull in. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't get, you couldn't apply the style with those restrictions of boots right. and, and equipment. And then and those that's, boards that's right. didn't go backwards. Right. No. Like there was right. like, it, you know, there, not, there not was, well. <laughs> man, if, no, not at all. I mean, I think. Because uh, your feet were this way. <laughs> well, they were, and they were, they were, they were dead <laughs> flat. No kick. It and was they were just. The board was dead. Was dead. Yeah. I mean, the, there was yeah. very little rise in the front. Right. Certainly, yeah, yeah. certainly on, not on early. So that would sure. be what my first back. board looked like. Was uh, It was a 176, and it was pointed nose, slight slope, almost no back edge. Not flat, but definitely not enough to ollie off of or, or, or do anything off of. And the angle was definitely this. And I remember. Uh, R- race board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, taking speed into like, okay, I'm going to go down and do big turns, kind of like how, how Mark described. And almost immediately because of, um, I told my dad, oh, I want to try snowboarding. And he related it to, he was a skier. I skied, my, you know, my whole life. And so he's like, oh, okay, I'll get you a snowboard. <clears throat> and that's what he got me. And I was like, uh-uh, like I want to do that. Like I want <laughs> So it ended up being like, no, I, I had to figure out like what I wanted to do with it, which I didn't know. I just know, I, mm. I didn't even know that I wanted to do tricks, honestly. I just know that this board didn't look like the guys that I wanted to hang out with. <laughs> so I was like, oh no, I think I need like a 152. And then later the tricks came. It was, it, but it was most like, no, no, that board doesn't look like my friend's boards. Like that, it, I had no idea. Hmm. That's pretty interesting, like that 
No, I, in, to gain entry in the group, I have to... Which I should follow up as I've never yeah, gained this, entry. This isn't the right currency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> this yeah. will not get me in. Uh, in yeah. fact, this will get me pretty out. Right. <laughs> and, how you get, like, <laughs> and then I might not have this chance again. So age 11 and 12, uh, I, I guess you can identify that. You can be like, oh, no, they're not going to, you know, I, I see how they look yeah, at me no, with a stupid cool. whatever I'm dressed like. I need baggier pants. I can't wear like a ski suit. I need... I need to fucking have the costume in order to like figure out how to do the tricks basically, mm. but, which is a weird fucking thing. And I never, you know, I didn't do it that well. Cause I, I mean, I dabbled in, in snowboarding, you know, for quite a long time, but not enough to ever like catch and do what you guys did. But I, I was identifying as being like, no, I want to hang out with those guys. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I didn't match it correctly or whatever. Yeah. That's for whatever a, reason. I like that though. That's cool. <laughs> did, um, there's there's also I mean another I guess a s- subdiscipline of sort of slalom racing on a snowboard. Mm-hmm. Does that as an activity make sense? It didn't to me. I mean, okay. one of my friends did it. Yeah, um, and he listened. You know, he was punk and uh, and he was crashing angry gates. all the time. Jo- uh, Doug Colley was his name. I'll just say his name, but yeah. he was this angry snowboard racer. <laughs> had a snake live by himself it was a weird angry dude it, it's a different personality of somebody um, who owns a snake that's not 15 i mean like, th- these guys were walking <laughs> contradictions like in the summertime i used to drive a shuttle bus at a rafting thing that's what i would do in the oh, summers nice. to earn enough money to pay my rent for the whole winter or whatever yeah. and doug would be he was a guide on the river but he would refuse to wear the Tevas. He would wear Converse in his thing. Uh, they called themselves punks on water. Like they just would not, they were anti-hippie. I mean, it's like, but you're a raft guide. I, I was just yeah. gonna say, man, this sounds, this sounds a lot like a failed business. <laughs> like you gotta be a people so, person. I hate people. Yeah. So, no, no, you gotta wear Tevas. No, I like Chucks. Yeah, we have a summer like, camp for kids. I fucking hate kids. <laughs> so no, I and didn't, under, I didn't yeah. understand the racing on, on a snowboard because you could just ski uh, uh, slalom and that's gonna work better for that application. And I wanted to do, you know, tricks. I wanted mm-hmm. to jump. Uh, I wanted to get, I wanted to ride powder and surf. I wanted to surf. I wanted to carve, you know, w- which you're doing when you're doing slalom, but you're, yeah, definitely carving. Um, and, it, and I, to me it was, I mean, I'm the same, I, you know, I, su- I support Josh's thoughts there. Cause it, it, it wasn't even, it never cataloged as snowboarding to me, to you. Like it, you didn't identify <laughs> as the same sport. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it still really doesn't. I mean, awesome. I, you know, I look at, Cause I think they even have that in the Olympics, the little slalom didn't some yeah. snowboarder win a ski race too in the Olympics. You don't even know. Well, I, I mean, I heard the story that it was, but I think there's I, I, a, yeah, I don't know. I don't know I either. Don't, I think I learned it done from that story. There's yeah. like a, I, I do believe they do the slalom, the slalom. snowboarding yeah. in the Olympics. And okay. there was some lady that won the snowboarding slalom. And then she went and, and beat Lindsay Vaughn oh. in, Oh, one no of kidding. the ski races one okay. of i think Wait, Lindsay what? was in maybe three or something so this snowboarder now has a skier gold medal they let that happen well she won on skis <laughs> on skis oh oh, oh. yeah she's, yeah so she okay. went from she, yeah, 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 yeah she so could, she yeah. rode the yeah sorry she rode the snowboards <laughs> and then she skied she did the ski 
and walks away with this amazing wow. story and this gold medal. And, you wow. know, of course, snowboarders are going to run with that. Like, not yeah. only do we scrape the snow off the mountain, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. we win all the gold medals, too. So, yeah. you know, the, <laughs> they had a heyday with that. But, but yeah, and then, and then border cross, too. You know, they were, those oh. are kind of two... And I have, I have friends that do border cross and they're great people and, and great athletes. And so they'll, mm. they'll be a little offended when I say it, but it was, it, you know, they just weren't the same sport to me. It was like, yeah, it's almost just but another border cross thing. is like the closest you can get to rollerball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, to, just kind a, of to like me, if I could like derby, if could, like, like spike up on, you know, or something mm -hmm. like pushing dudes out of the way. I don't know. It just seems. And that's, you know, I almost say just, I've, let's just take it to that. Like, instead of just trying to make this thing eloquent and look really cool, like, like, uh, what is it? The giant slalom on skis. Like that's yeah. insane to watch, you know? And you, you watch if a snow, if we, these guys could just be boxing down the whole thing, it yeah. would just kind of create, make this thing way better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, 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 a yeah. I always wanted to start a sport called cycle karate. So, like you I'm race just, around just, a course and like, I think it was just that off right like <laughs> the first hundred meters are neutral and then you can start throwing punches. Pretty much. Like you yeah. need to get up to speed. There's a certain yeah. amount of speed before you can start getting it on. And then, you know, and they, yeah, they I, have I, the hockey element. There's a part, there's part of it that's I think acceptable, but it'd sure. be cool if it really, if it was really let's speed this up and yeah. like, you know, <laughs> let's really get this going. And, but yeah, that, you know, the long-winded long uh, story of why I just never even considered him part of the sport. That's, it's pretty interesting. Just, just that this, you know, how, um, how di not divided necessarily, but how, how the, the sub-disciplines within certain things, like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I ride a bike, or yeah, I'm a climber also. Okay, now I get, I get 15 different definitions of different stuff and, mm -hmm um uh, of these of these different things and and uh to, and to look at it from the outside it it it, it looks the same mm -hmm. in one way but from the inside it's it's totally foreign right to yeah. see this other thing that's a um it's almost as finicky as like <clears throat> the genres of metal like in music like <laughs> you just don't get uh, it, you could say like oh, i listen to metal and somebody's like you know, they mention a band, you're like, what the fuck? That's not like that's neo metal. You know, like I was talking about thrash metal. And they're like, it all kind of like it's loud. The, you know, there's a double bass. No, no, if there's a double bass, it's this. And you're like, I'm only into neo American black metal. Like, I mean, the, the genres are so, so far, like from the outside, they don't matter necessarily. But when you're into it, they define who you will interact with. And they define your style. They define mm -hmm. all the intricacies of, of kind of your being. And that, uh, I mean, you guys were both professionals. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe that has something to do with it as well. Like, how how did you? Uh, I, I'm just curious because I've always wondered. Um, I in my head, uh, there, you would always hear about guys going pro that you might have known of, or like kids in school who got you know sponsored, and that became like the big you know, aesthetic quality of skateboarding in high school was like, man, the kid gets free boards cause he's so good or, or whatever. And we, there was, there was definitely a time period where 
uh, in high school, I mean, you guys were what everybody looked up to. It was like if Jeremy Jones and J.P. Walker were at a party on the 33rd house next to Milo, like whatever that party house was, everybody would try to get to it because like that's where the pros hang out. And that's and right. that seems like such a ridiculous thing today, but mm. that shaped our weekends. Like yeah. where are the pros at? Where are they hang out? We couldn't ever find like how to like intermingle with the best. That's one of the secrets of the pros <laughs> is that they're really <laughs> never there. That they're never exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, we always, so I always wondered, like, how did how did it happen? Like, how did you guys go about monetizing this, or or like to use that term, how did you professionalize the act of snowboarding, which you would have done without, or you would have figured out a way how to do it at a high level? Uh, what was like the first step into turning a hobby into? Let him have it. You want to go first? <laughs> there was. Uh... Uh, my my location was uh, Truckee or um, yep. you, Lake Tahoe. People yeah. probably more people recognize that um, area, but it, it's on the um, north side of the lake. Sort of where will, the so. Donner Party um, had that incident. Is that <laughs> exactly. nearby? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I, I actually that. lived at, at the base of that. Is that uh, a uh, is that considered an incident? Donner Lake. Like, <laughs> I don't think you know, cannibalism counts as, as an, an incident. incident. Yeah, that's like a premeditated human. I don't know something like I just wanted atrocity. To, I would call to it an incident. <laughs> an incident. Trivialize sure. it a little bit We're to gonna, make a joke out of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so way to so, bring in cannibalism to the conversation. Hey. <laughs> um, no, no, but uh, uh, there was regional competitions because um, this was like a, a mecca. Snowboarding was just in its uh, it was in its infancy, and it was exploding at a pretty fast rate. Um, but even still, you could only go to certain resorts, and um, one of the um, I don't know if I'm gonna say the right association so i'll just be uh vague but um don bostic uh i think he still works um on uh with with the skateboard competition series and developed it and he had a, a series in in tahoe at donner and um uh, donner and boreal <laughs> nice. the, the donner party con uh, competition um but 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 we'd we'd enter Fuck. these local competitions and uh if if uh, someone saw you like uh, we were talking about earlier, um, a guy named Laurent, or actually his sub rep, um, saw me, and um, we started a, a conversation after a competition like that, and it, one thing led to another. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's, you know, the way it really started is mm -hmm. just if you could be somewhere that someone would see you, yeah, and you had something that stood out that was certainly early days you know buy-in fee pretty much so now the like the modern equivalent is if i want to be a brand ambassador for somebody that comments on my section on instagram is that oh if you have enough followers <laughs> yes the brand ambassador the, the brand ambassador is just the the <laughs> professional unpaid person sprayer yeah just like spray social yeah media i'll be your brand them. ambassador yeah. for yeah. nothing for yeah. sure yeah 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 and no, I got a free T-shirt, and I just have to work for it for every day. I have to post about this one T-shirt that I got. I just, I, it, that, that sponsorship thing, um, I'd, I'd find it a delicious sort of social commentary. Um, <laughs> usually, in in the sense of of you know people uh, 
the, the price for which they will sell themselves mm. or the price yeah. for which they will sell their voice. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I saw it with uh, that shoe brand or whatever, and they to- <laughs> totally Trojan horsed like a particular organization. But, um, but, but the funny thing, like, wow, you sold your voice for a pair of shoes that cost them like $5. They, fu- <laughs> they, they fucking got you yeah. for that. Yeah, and now yeah. you're spraying about this stuff all over the place. Like you have no self-worth. Like right. you apparently don't, value your voice maybe your voice is worthless i don't you know that that's fine too and that that's how that could happen but but just the at in in, in the beginning and like that um where, where maybe you get seen or whatever and the offer is this and you're just dying to take that offer mm-hmm. because it because it seems like the, the the thing and then later in the trajectory you know it comes down to like no it's not worth it what you're offering me in order to for me and what I have to to um, represent your product or brand. Well, I've seen it through so many different cult- like <clears throat> subcultures growing up, and even now today, you see it with like CrossFit athletes who are like, okay, you have sports that are in their infancy that need to figure out how to get the best to rise to the top. In order to do that, they need to professionalize it or they need to somehow make a living that makes it worth it. And they try to instigate this through competitions and enough money to support a little bit. But eventually it comes down to like how most people would do, even in the UFC, how it worked for so long was like, oh man, you need to pile in like 20 sponsors. They all pay a little bit of money. And then on fight night or whatever you have, your shorts are all repped out and whatever like that this is how you make it work and 20 was, different logos on your t-shirt <laughs> yeah, yeah, none, yeah, yeah none sort of identifiable right he, or yeah. separate from the other really i mean that's or that really even sink into your own soul in right. terms of what you're supporting you know yeah. you're just yeah. it's just your your means to pull off mm-hmm. this thing mm-hmm. yeah. right yeah it happened in racing cars for me like i like in order, you just need sponsors. So I took on like all these brands. I didn't even use the stuff on the car. Right. I had to like put the stickers all over my car. And then when I won an event, I would send them a picture and they would send me a check for like 500 bucks per sponsor. And I was like, okay, this is this is how it is, I guess. And it, there is no interconnectivity. They just want to be associated with the best. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and now I think most sponsors just want to be associated with the masses. So like... Man, if you're a CrossFit athlete, you know, five years ago, you had to drink Progenics <laughs> just because that was the only protein supplement giving people, uh, quote unquote, a sponsorship because it wasn't cash. It was like free protein powder. And now the residue to that is like people still drink Progenics because they want to associate with professional CrossFit athletes, but that shit is garbage. So it like it, it <laughs> makes these slow shifts here and there but it's i mean it's a, it's kind of an interesting thing though because i, I mean i would say that let, let's say snowboarding you know became and as, as we mentioned earlier like it's it, style uh matters it's important it's up front it's a piece of it and and so i would rather you know if i'm personally if i'm got a product that i want somebody i'm going to go look for the person who has the best i want the person with the best style to represent me not necessarily the best competition results mm-hmm. like i'm not going to look at That's the competition these days yeah. you know because i'm because the, the the in the, the largest influence i think is you know a lifestyle a way of life or a way of living or a way of approaching the sport which people will find attractive not necessarily the the organized 
um, nature of competition. Absolutely. It, it, that it, but so it got driven not by competition results necessarily, but by a look, a way, a vibe. Yeah, I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's that's a true, and I don't mean to keep bringing up CrossFit. It's just relevant today. I was going to say, shut that CrossFit shit down. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's a, it's an it, it's just an easy corollary to say like the 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 highest earners in the sport that you would consider like a professional CrossFit athlete aren't the highest performers necessarily, hmm. like the. They look a certain way that people want to look. Again, you're selling an image. You're sending a, mm-hmm. a lifestyle. I think they're that, selling more products. But yeah, there's, yeah, but there's yeah. no fucking style within CrossFit. I'm sorry. Unless <laughs> I the sleeveless turtle. Well, no, there, there <laughs> is. <laughs> I mean, there, there are attempts. There, there is at, a there, style. There yeah. are attempts at it, but it's not. I mean, my knee socks aren't cool, Mark. Like, what do you think? <laughs> Only if they don't match. That, there, there is. Or one has stripes and the other's a solid. Okay, uh, so some, like, what, but like, people would say the same thing about cycling, and there's definitely style in cycling. Like, But you look at your average cyclist. That If you're totally unrelated to cycling, you'll be driving down the road, and you see a cyclist, and you're like, that fat fucking spandex. What an idiot. <laughs> like, oh, cool. He's all matching. And you, you would, like, we would look at the same guy and be like, man, what an idiot. He's not pro. Like, <laughs> And now I'm that guy. No, and but, I've said that <laughs> before, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, for but, sure. But that's that's not the style I'm, that I'm, I think you see present in snowboarding. No, no, no. no we're, t- we're talking like adherence to a particular way of dressing, and the mm-hmm. socks are this long, and the, mm-hmm. you know, it's you know, blah blah blah. But that's that's not that's just like okay, I'm doing this to fit in. And when I say, talk about style within CrossFit, it's just it it, it you know the uh, you mentioned the chain wallet and the like, <laughs> yeah, like, is it a chain wallet? CrossFit or wallet circa chain? 2003. Like, <laughs> you can wear a and, chain and, <laughs> and, and, and board shorts and a yeah, certain yeah. you know. Okay, so that's the they're <laughs> that's that's stylistic appropriation because that came from somewhere else. It didn't originate in, in, in CrossFit. True. Bullshit joke. But, um, but the, the sense of style, it's not just like that I see in snowboarding. It's, it's a way of doing the thing. It's right. a, it, it's, it's a way of, of riding. It's a way of approaching it. If we mm-hmm. talk about, you know, sort of what, um, you know, d- the development of the spot, if you will, that mm-hmm. whole thing, that's like a dedication to a certain way of doing stuff and you're willing to work for it. But there's no, and the reason I think there's no style and, you know, there, there's no, um, th- th- there's no form of self-expression within the movements that are done within CrossFit. Mm. Right, the bar goes yeah. overhead and gets and you, and you and you hold it there for you know or whatever or or it it doesn't. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I do not want to talk about CrossFit any further. I want to talk about snowboarding as we got these guys here. Um, but but it just feels like the the vibe is very different. It has nothing to do with the clothes. I yeah, I think and again, you know, well, not again, but that there's it's what you're touching on with style where. It, where I think this this conversation really has kind of a lot of value because you have the spot you referenced and the style there is there's so much attitude behind that style. So this style is it, it, it then reflects a lifestyle because yes. that's how committed you are to it. And then so road biking to me for years was a styleless look i would see it and i would see a styless movement but then um now i look at road biking and i see 
I understand functionally why things are the way they are. Yeah. And now I see style. I can see the position someone is on their bike. And I'm like, that dude looks good on that bike. Mm-hmm. And then and then I look at the bike and I'm like, he built that bike. He didn't buy that bike off of the floor. Right. And then and so now all of a sudden I have this appreciation for it. And then you had a cyclist on one of your podcasts and and he said something referring to someone and he said his uh the way his back was raked was drop dead sexy. And that that quote to me resonated because I had just started to develop this noticing the style in road biking. <laughs> yeah. And and then all of a sudden it made sense to me you know, in a different light, what style is, because if you look into it, you can define style, but as an overarching thing and you're looking at it, you're like, what is these guys style? Like, this is a stylist thing. Like, and then even to the CrossFit point, it's, you know, there's, 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 there's a limit. Like you have to do this movement correctly, right? I'm, and I'm kind of guessing like you have to extend it for your points. You have to extend it for it to count. You have to bring it to us. You can't drop below here if you're in a squat. Like yeah, there, there's, there's sort of these rules and regulations that you have to work inside of. But there's still an element of style of how that guy performs inside those brackets. So you mentioned the crack of an ollie, mm-hmm. like being like. There is something to that, like a, w- your memory is so ingrained to that. And I- instead of, you know, CrossFit is influenced by this, but instead in Olympic weightlifting, Olympic style weightlifting, the crack of a hip connecting with a bar is a style thing. Like there, there's this mm-hmm. approach to it. Like you're okay. like, you can hear that contact like behind me. If I hear it, I'm like, that's a lot of weight. And I can turn around and identify. And you can feel it. And yeah. You know can it. feel yeah. it without knowing what it is that like, that was different. Like that. And the same thing, if, if somebody's on a rower who is road crew, you just like, whoosh, you hear that first like pull and you're like, that was that was not a fucking amateur. <laughs> like there, there's a right? separation yeah. between professional movement and right. And and I see people I see sure. people lifting weights style wise, and, and you start to see the culture of, you know, I see them warming up for weightlifting and their shoes are untied, and it's almost like a fuck you to you know having proper footwear. You're like now I can put 300 pounds overhead with. You know, Matt Fraser has a kind of a famous video of the first time he hit a 315 snatch, his fucking shoes weren't tied, and you're like. <laughs> skating with shoes untied totally yeah well, you know. well it came from and maybe they adopted these similar things but they're almost like it's just being so comfortable in your own skin yeah you're, you're just you're in those shoes every fucking day so mm-hmm. it's like it's not a big deal you've walked around in them in the house you've walked out of the gym you in the gym everywhere and all of a sudden it's just it doesn't matter if they're laced up or they're not it has your footprint in it and people don't notice these little peculiar things, but the, when you get into it, you really pick up. And when you watch a, a fellow professional snowboarder, you identify professionalism, not just by his ability, but by the signals of, of style, I think. And that, that's what I, what I start to see in CrossFit. Yeah, like CrossFit lacks style because for whatever reason, maybe. You and, know. Uh, and maybe it's, the, you know, the, the sports relative immaturity, if you would call it, it that could be. or whatever, or the fact that it's, you know. I think um, it, it's it. so easily accessible that um, see I see it, the style actually instead of in clothing I see it the it's where it's in, come from yeah 
I, I, I think that's... Because it's, it's the roots of things that are... Because if something is like a skateboarder, uh, it, Christian Hosoya keeps coming to mind because we're talking about style and that guy just had it oozing out, you know. I mean, yeah. his documentary is incredible. But um, there's just not many individuals that have that kind of swagger, if you will, mm-hmm. or, or that much charisma. Um, but it was, he was definitely influenced. Uh, his musical influence came through that style. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the the where he was from came through that his region the region you know California. So, so, so was so. there ever like a, a clothing like I imagine in in, in trying to identify yourself and, and try to push the limits of style within snowboarding you ran across some malfunctions sometimes like maybe you know you tried to wear a certain kind of pant that just didn't it ripped when you tried to do a kickflip or whatever there was something along the way where you're like okay i can't do that because it doesn't feel like it's out there <laughs> it's not functional and it style. looks cool yeah but you lose some of the function and, and this is where i would that say that was baggy okay was, yeah yeah that was yeah, baggy to totally. me to me well, and, or and, when, and yeah. maybe other guys had a different um experience with that yeah. but wide stances and baggy was wasn't functional style. Sure, and, and, and they were they help. both were in vogue, and but they both I feel like like were counter. So, and this is where I'll go with productive. where where I think like maybe the unnoticed parts of of CrossFit style are the clothing doesn't matter. Like, but professional CrossFit athletes have a certain body look. Mm-hmm. muscularity that like you can't copy that you need to do certain things in order to get that body type and th- this is where like it even goes against the functions of the sport it's adaptation to that sport is that well, lo- is, to a point is that but, body but even but even beyond that it's a it's an amount of leanness that actually can can interrupt performance but because the signal to be like i'm pro as fuck is so important that i will be at a level of body fat percentage that actually is not helpful to performance. It's actually detrimental at some point. I can't recover as well when I'm this lean, but it's important enough. Like this is where style matters in CrossFit. This is where it's kind oh, of going. Oh, I see where it. you're going. Okay. Right. You have females that are beyond unreasonably lean because they get more sponsorship and more pro effects than they do from looking a certain way than they do performing. And it's counter performance. And exactly. Like I get it. You have no business cutting right before a you know five day event but you know hey it doesn't really matter I, I need to place high i need to show that i belong here but it's almost more important that i get imagery that i'm fucking shredded to the bone mm-hmm. when i'm coming out of the water mm-hmm. like that that becomes really important and we can joke about that being stupid or or whatever but that's that's in the back of everybody's head that's trying to make it as a professional and that's why i kind of brought up the question of like how did you how did you seed your way into a profession because obviously you were I was aiming there or you were aiming there because I want to do this thing more and more. I want to be able to support my lifestyle based off of this. And there's sometimes a mismatch with that. But you guys seem to, you you obviously adhered to the performance. Uh, like if you couldn't perform and you couldn't do tricks or you couldn't do the thing that you wanted to do, that would ultimately uh, negate any kind of style adherence that you had. Like, that's why I brought up the baggy closing or the, or like the, cause I knew that was going to come. It's like that, man, there was like a year where Jankos were really cool. And then they were like, fuck this. <laughs> well, I couldn't, I mean, yeah, like I, I never had those by the way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't either, but I never had the Jankos, but I had the, you know, I went through the big, big pants and little mm-hmm. wheels skateboarding. Like it's really pretty un- unfunctional. I mean, <laughs> it just didn't, you know, but it again, you know, back to that trend thing, mm-hmm. it's, we were following something, mm-hmm. but you know, you going and buying 48 waist pants to get 
the size you wanted mm-hmm. down the leg was great, mm-hmm. but then I had a major malfunction <laughs> at the waist because yeah. I was trying to wad up, yeah. you know, how, whatever, two feet extra of material. Because <laughs> you're a size 28. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so you, I remember that But style, rather, rather than just like suffering through that, you know, in high school, I started making my cut, mm. but I would make my own pants so that my waist would fit. So you, you, <laughs> nice. you end up having this still not really functional piece, right. but more functional. But you still have to adhere for some reason instead of like, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the I, I think this is fascinating because it, it has something to do with human nature inherently. Like we are, we, we are not rational. Right. And that's what I'm kind of getting to. Like the rationale that we think we're just like, oh, they're like A plus B is equal to C or like that goes away so quickly. Rational is not fun. No, and rational isn't human. Like irrationality is very, very human. I, I mean, I think so. Yeah. I don't really mean that statement that it's not fun, but, but I mean, kinda. But being completely <laughs> rational is, totally. is boring. Yeah. Right. Well, well, even take even like let's we can talk about fashion a little bit. Like just the the history of blue jeans, like. That was that was a that was a style associated with blue collar working for the first seven years that blue jeans were worn, hmm. and then there was like a switch <laughs> that flipped, and it became a style that was embedded into high fashion. And now you have jeans that cost hundreds of dollars that do the exact that are totally non functional hmm. to denim jeans that were created for a purpose of the workman, and now you have these like. Yeah, I'm, this is outdated too, but like the bedazzled jeans era where there was oh like this gosh. fucking ridiculous rhinestone encrusted bullshit. Okay, that I think that was like only a fashion for the soccer mom that wanted to believe that she could, you know, still party on the weekends. But for the most part, you have this <laughs> irrationality attached to, to to style, and it is almost as important that irrationality holds up the subculture, just as important as the activity that happens under it. And that's kind of what is it about that? human aspect there where we have to be irrationally dysfunctional in order to beacon that we belong to something emotion (laughs) 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 i i I don't know where it's just like a a phenomena that that occurs and it occurs at at every different level whether and i it, it probably happens in you know obviously in subcultures that i don't belong to i mean there's probably a new york stock exchange style there there has to be one where where the the dress it adheres to this small group whether it's like tailored fitted suits right. or wh- whatever the thing is um I, I think american psycho fucking brought it out perfectly when he's like fumbling that fucking card and finicking over the like the raised embossed letters and he's like oh my god and he like starts shaking uncontrollably because the style is too good but you're talking about a fucking business card with (laughs) 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 now that's eggshell and then then the the like the dweeb of the group comes over with some fucking like red print and it's ghastly and it's fucking gaudy and this guy's a moron he doesn't belong to the group and it's like puke worthy business card (laughs) i 
that to me like kind of sums up like the influence of style you're you're able to capture somebody who can pay attention to the details and that person that can pay attention to the details and have capability that's the kind of person that you want to include into what you would describe as the spot mm -hmm. right uh, and then there's some friendship stuff that goes along with that for sure uh, that i would like to hear i mean maybe because we didn't explain it and people who were, weren't here for your thing the other night what is the spot and and how did that why did that come about why were the rules so strict uh well it came about as a need you know as most things did in snowboarding we just you know as we got further and long and as style did too you know mm -hmm. function you start with style that's always where we start i mean and then function was always something that came after <laughs> and it's not you know not until now is it that i can actually look at something and say i'll i'll buy that for function mm in this case over style you know and that that just goes but that's experience and mm -hmm. and just time under that well you've said that knowledge but you've spent 30 years like dictating a style that like sorry but a lot of other people followed yeah i guess yeah i mean yeah it, it's hard to, yeah it's hard to claim it for sure myself but i've you know i've been told it enough that i've sure uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, you're going to be <laughs> that, too, that I'll, that too I'll accept to it, say. but, <laughs> but that, you know, let's, let's get into yeah. the spot thing and that, and that's how it started is, you know, we, we had what we knew what we needed to start creating and, um, what that was turning into was we need footage earlier because we were seeing snow in cities and on the ground around November and, mm no one would start filming even the film companies until after the new year oh yeah always. and now and because it was just waiting for this snow to pile up waiting for these um the structure in the mountains to happen so that you could be safe and do your thing and mm -hmm. and and to us this time frame just didn't work because there was so much more that huh. we need it just shortened our seasons too much and so we started the spot so that we could get our feet under us essentially um, as quick as possible so that when snow hit Salt Lake City and it was a three foot dump, it was, you know, that was usually just like, okay, we'll go run runs at Brighton, but backcountry's still not open. It's still too thin. But now all of a sudden we have a new, a new palette and we can go get footage. We can be productive. We and can, essentially building um, a, a, a park. Yeah, uh, with you know, with all the features and right. and 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 the social sort of uh, infrastructure to go around that, so you could go hang out. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the imagery that comes out of the spot is like, man, it, it looks really like a a convivial place, like a, a place where there's good camaraderie. If you yeah, will. It, and, I mean, and, it's re you know, it's really you know, it's got a a boys club sort of underlying tone to it you know and but but we believed in it we believed in it. i mean we had a per it was purpose built you know it was it was designed to do that first um and then it became we all had a, a the same share the same mentor in terms of our outdoor lifestyle and um it was a way for us to test um our own things in the backcountry as and test them to what he would suggest as well you know and so it was it was just our playground to to get good at this stuff and and 
the people that we wanted you know i mean ultimately it was survival stuff it was how do we survive and it was drawing up whatever that looked like in in its worst case scenario you know and so we had all sorts of our own ideas of what a bad situation was and you know if the well if everything you know up to you never know if my house is gone and everyone else's house is gone like where are we going you can and live how are the, we doing this we can live at yeah. the spot and so you had, you know, we had these extremes for sure, but it put our minds in the right place to, to create that, the style of the spot, which ultimately became, um, a place where we would, uh, practice new snowboarding tricks, practice new knife throwing tricks, practice new <laughs> first aid techniques, um, after, digging, after failed knife throwing after tricks, failed knife, <laughs> knife throwing tricks and, and you know, and nicely. digging pits and sleep, sleeping out in the snow, you know, with nothing but your sleeping bag or even a tarp, you know, and we practiced all these things and then mm. we created, you know, sort of a, what that program looked like. And so now people start asking and they want a piece of this thing. And we, mm. We never let sponsors in on that. It was always um, our own output. We never let a sponsor. I mean, we would do our best to promote our own sponsors through that avenue, right. but it was we never let them control how this thing ran um, by giving. And they all wanted a part of it for years, oh, a I'm decade. Sure. They they because chased us down because it is it's 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 a place that's compressed in a way um, or or like style within a pressure cooker mm -hmm. and you could see like okay there's there are there's influence that's coming out of this place and if me as a sponsor wants to get like and i want to you know try and steer i want some of that the style yeah. that's coming out of this mm -hmm. place or the influence that's coming out of this place if i want to try and steer that towards my brand or my thing man you know it uh you didn't sell yourself for a pair of shoes, right? <laughs> well, and, and there, but there's, you know, and that, that, cause there, and the other side of that is there's, we are, we're aware enough that there's elements of that we have to sure. accept because of the nature of our business yeah. and that, but that's what was so rad about this place is it was like, this is, we can be pure here. We can do this here. And then, you know, and then we had this patch thing and, and it, that became a thing. And now it's like, I wear that. I don't have the patch on right now, but I can feel it on me. Like I wear that patch, you know, I know. And then we had a, a gray version of the patch, which is, it's just That's a, cool. our patch is a triangle um, or a diamond, red diamond with a skull and mm. a shovel and a, yeah, right here, oh, nice. shovel and a hatchet, snowflake. And so it, there, it all has its place, you know, it's a design by, meaning meaning you yeah. know and then we have a gray version of that and it's called the lone wolf patch and you don't get the you don't get the red patch unless you put in your time mm -hmm. and we feel like you're worth you're worth it and there's about four of us that make that call mm -hmm. and then you get your gray patch the lone wolf by doing your your night stuff overnight stuff alone at the spot <laughs> which has some awesome stories to it but you know that it it became a something that was rad and then people wanted the patch and so we're like oh we'll, we'll start giving people tries here you know and and so we would cycle through some people and they would hang for a bit and leave and some some actually got patches but there's not many there's maybe only 
10 or 12 patches out there, you know, and it's <laughs> just that, the over, over almost 15 years, you know, that's, yeah. that's pretty exclusive. And, and that's what happens. Like you, you set, establish the ideal and adhere to the ideal and mm-hmm. defend it, defend it and Absolutely. not let it get watered down and not let it get influenced by, you and know, that's too the much struggle. commercialism yeah. and not mm-hmm. let it get influenced Oops. by like, Oh, we're going to relax the standards cause we, we need more people or whatever. Like mm-hmm. that's, uh, but the the companies along the way, in, what in general terms, what I think you guys were doing is creating content at a level that you can't you can't even facilitate that. You, you can't you can't look at the components of that and reduce it down to these components and then put those components together and expect the same result because you guys created a state and an environment that was almost self supporting, much like something else that we know about that has all these rules, all these controls set up, all this um, selection process that really controls the overall environment. And you you say there's only 10 people because fuck, there's probably, you know, less than 1% of the population that deserves to get into a group like that, that can be self-contained, that can produce content, that can be uh, self-sufficient or whatever you want to describe it as. Mm -hmm. But this content generator is a gold mine and of course people want to attach themselves to it because companies can make products because that's a reductionist thing to create. Like my snowboard that I create is just the sum of parts that I put into it and then the marketing that goes behind it is dependent on content creation. What can people do with that? Well, now we need artists. Now we need now we need people that can show the world what this is what this is capable of. So you're the People say the content is king. I say that content is key. Good content is king. Like that slight. And I say content mm. is going on the banned word list. Because <laughs> <laughs> it. I, no, I, you mean I, content is contraband. Yes. Because. Yeah. <laughs> well, what is it? it uh, anyway, go on. Well, I, content. I con- so, yeah, it's a general. Well, for the general population that are in marketing, content means fill space. Sure. So yeah. most people don't understand it as in like, oh, I created this website. I need no, to I created a, an empty space. Yeah, I need to, well, I need and to it fill it with a paragraph. So I'm going to fill it with words and those words need to sound. So I'm going to use jargon. But what you're talking about by content creation, you're removing the jargon and putting an emphasis on uh, valuable um, subject matter, right? Pictures, video, mm-hmm. uh, words, content that actually means something and also like the sense of the, oh there's this mysterious authentic, place yeah. out in the woods that yeah. i don't know where it is but there's like cool people that's where the pros hang out right. um we're looking for them at the party house but no they're <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're in the oh, woods for sure <laughs> I, and that and that josh nailed it right there it was like well, no it's valuable to some like it yeah. it's authentic there's an authenticity to this they're purchasing authenticity right you can't it, this is that appeals to a certain demographic which is what you were access to like oh this is going to appeal to this quadrant of you know, what came out of the spot could not be generated in a marketing table at any company no matter who you are no, no matter how creative you are because that authenticity you're not going to think of that no there's no this fucking was born way. out of necessity totally. and that's where i think you know um uh, style or the best style is is born from that mm-hmm. it's authentic things we need this thing on the board and mm-hmm. or on a house or a railing or something like that and it's going to block the sun or it's a flare on a you know mm-hmm. a camera lens mm-hmm. and it looks really fucking cool because Leica made it look look that way but it's the style follows the function 
Well, well because yeah, mean, the imagery holds up an emotional quality, mm-hmm. and most people don't recognize that. And that maybe that's why, ultimately, why we're so attracted to photography, videography, writing, stuff that influences emotion, because that emotion is the crack of a fucking skateboard when you come out of the mall and it influenced your entire life. Like that, that the one noise you attach to the shift where, and I won't use the paradigm shift fucking band word on purpose, but <laughs> there's quite literally a shift that directed your entire life. And people, and, and people probably don't recognize the power of that emotional quality. I know companies do because companies headhunt for it. Yeah, uh, Companies try uh, to ignore the content creator thinking that it's just the sum of the parts that get included. But what I'm trying to highlight here is that the style that came from you is organically attached to this process that ultimately no one can actually buy or they can't, they can't, um, I, I don't even know how to put it into words. They, they can't procreate it. Like they can't say, oh, okay, I want this. They can't birth that yeah, through no money. One, no mm. one would ever be able to put that place that you put together. And nobody would ever be able to put Jim Jones together or let it survive, like allow it to survive. It, it's just not going to be the same thing. And you see that in how people act after like, Oh, you can copy the shiny words. You can, you can hashtag the the one-liner quotes all you want. Well, this and this, you know, I was gonna say it goes back, but it's it supports it totally. Is that style? Style's totally. It's influenced by its environment, mm-hmm. in a sense, and mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm thinking how environment ruins style, but <laughs> but it can also make it better because it you know. I go to a snowboard park, mm-hmm. let's say, and I'm watching all of these styles. And now all of a sudden I drop into this thing having watched 20 or 30 different kids flush through. And I approach it with my trick in mind, mm-hmm. but I also have all these distractions of mm-hmm. what it looks like now because maybe somebody did something similar to that. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden style, even your own, takes a tiny bit of a shift based on your environment and that and again mm-hmm. to the spot it we wanted our styles to be ours they they needed to be something pure and not in, only influenced by our uh, us yeah. by the patch so to speak you know mm-hmm. and and it and it allowed that because we weren't distracted by the noise of what other people were doing it was just this is our thing and we we will do it our way and you're, you're always that's paying the it. essence right there yeah. of, of what skateboarding and snowboarding is to yeah. me yeah i i agree and music well, I, I think things that are authentic follow that path like, you, mm-hmm. i mean i i haven't i'm not very involved in that i was just hardly exposed to what you guys spent your whole life doing but in understanding like that same pattern followed other things that I came to care about and be more deeply involved with it, whether that was fitness related or whatever it is, there's these very, you know, maybe I'll try to sum this up in, in, into how I what was very useful about this whole process is like, yeah, yeah, we're talking about clothing ultimately, like baggy pants, skinny jeans, whatever that, that would be. Most people would write that off as like whatever. I think the, the foundation for why you're trying to be different is what sets you apart in the end. And and you start to notice when you go down this journey of like, oh, okay, I'm gonna attach myself to this group because I wanna I wanna learn how to do the thing. I wanna be capable like them. And essentially now I have to separate myself from the group. 
And then once you can separate yourself, you can attract another group that is beyond that. This is the mm -hmm. elitist mentality that most people would try to stay away from. But in my head, you just created the, the environment, the circumstances for something to become uh, exponentially greater than what you just think the parts are. And I, you accidentally, or, or may, and maybe you accidentally were good enough and had the fortitude enough and sacrificed a normal lifestyle enough that you created one out of that other people will emulate. And I think that that's a fucking, I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I just like the idea of the, the <laughs> fact that style was developed in isolation or by way of isolation mm -hmm. yeah. and then guarded yeah. and, and, <laughs> and, uh, to the point that even it, that after you know kind of got shut down in its original location and you know came under the umbrella of of uh, Brighton essentially mm -hmm. as, yeah. as, as you know as a um, as a thing that they're they're supporting it and um, that it still hadn't lost the integrity you know by any stretch and that right. to me is that's that's lasting style like the like you you protected it and expressed it. Um, you know, protect, expressed it well enough and it protected it well enough for so long that even though it moved, you know, moved location and became, you know, official where it had been outlaw, right? Um, in a way that the integrity survived the shift to, you know, a more commercial type of relationship. I would like wow. to, yeah, end it with this in mind: style matters, defense style. Be authentic. Like Be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Defend style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Buy a URL. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you, guys.